Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, praise be to God. Thank you guys for joining us for Gospel Saving Church. Um, It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Uh, We're going to be this week in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 4 through 13. If you guys want to join me in a word of prayer, and we'll get into our message uh, after our prayer, and after we ask the Lord to, to help us understand this week. Lord, we thank you. We love you, and we praise you, Lord, for... All your great provision, Lord, and all your great love, and all your great mercy, Lord, and all your great help. Because, Lord, um, when we walk with you, or even if people don't walk with you, Lord, you, your word says, Jesus says, Lord, that you give good gifts to even all the people in the world, whether they love you or not. And that's just the kind of good, loving, kind God that you are. He says, Lord, you are love, the Bible says, and you cannot deny yourself. So, Lord, we thank you, and we ask you to bless this message, Lord. We Thank you for who you are, and we pray that you'd reveal yourself to us in this message in a mighty way. I pray, dear God, that you would help us to understand what you want from us today, Lord God. For it is true, Lord, you do want things from those that are yours. You do expect a certain lifestyle from those that are yours, just like we're going to read up, read about today in, in the Word. And so, Lord, I pray that those listening to this message would hear your heart and hear you clearly and through your Holy Spirit, and that you would touch us, Lord, and that we would provide to you, that we would give to you, that we would live for you the way you want us to. We love you and we praise you, dear God, and we ask these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen. So my thoughts from last week's message, before I get to my sermon, I always usually do a little excerpt from last week, and then I didn't teach last week. As all my followers may know, I was off last week, but I did post a really strong message by a a ministry that I support called Voice of the Martyrs. I didn't speak because I was still in recovery. I was still within my seven-day recovery. If you remember me sometime back saying that I had to have some surgery, I had to have a complete thyroidectomy. I had to have my complete thyroid out because it was giving me some problems. So I was kind of laid up last week. So I thank you guys for praying for me, if you guys had remembered that. Um, But as I said, we listened to a really strong message here in the house, and I also posted it online by a voice of the martyrs, it was a interview. Uh, they interviewed a guest that goes in and out of the Middle East or the Muslim world, who helps who helps and ministers to Christian churches there, and I believe also brings them support also. And uh, he had some pretty amazing stories about how God's working in the Muslim world and in the Middle East world to save Muslims, even the worst of Muslims, the you know those that are actually killing in ISIS and teachers of Islam and so on and so forth. Um, it was a really, really, really awesome message about uh, Muslims who are finding Christ and even uh, those of ISIS. So uh, I encourage you to listen to that. If you haven't listened to that, I'm thankful to be back and praise God. He's got me recovered and I'm getting stronger every day. I surely appreciate your prayers that the Lord would help me get a stronger voice and help the pain, all the pain go away from the surgery that I had to have. But again, I just encourage you to listen to that uh, program radio program I I posted it on the SoundCloud. I was posted on the church website, and uh, it's really encouraging. Um, and if you're into salvation, if you're a Christian, you should be into salvation. So it talks about salvation. So anyway, I'm back in action today, getting stronger daily, um, and I'm ready to be back and preach the word to you and the whole world. So uh, let's get into our new sermon for today. Our title of our message today is Christ centric or Self-centric. Again, Christ-centric or self-centric. 
Let's read over 2 Timothy 2, 4 through 13, and let's see what God has to say to us today. And um, we'll go from there, and uh, I will teach. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, Paul says to Timothy, again, No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hard-working farmer must be first to partake of the crops. Consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains. But the word of God is not chained. Therefore I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This is a faithful saying. If we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. So a couple weeks ago, back now, because that was the last time I taught, we I talked to you about Paul talking to Timothy about you know our focus and where was our focus, okay? And he talked to us about you know in Timothy two about what types of things Christians and Timothy should be focused on. Remember, he focused mainly on teaching followers of Christ to stay busy with doing God's business with our efforts, you know. Keeping our, keeping our members, you would say, busy, our, our hands and our feet, keeping our members busy doing the things that God wants us to do, right? And keeping our minds on the salvation of Jesus Christ. Remember, he said, you know, focus on, and he, he, he was telling us, focus on these things and not getting caught up, as verse 4 just said, not getting caught up by this life's issues. And he even told us, and we even talked about why all that was important. Well, this week, we're going to go back to study verse 4 again, even though we already studied it, because this verse really ties into the whole rest of the section. And in fact, it really ties into the whole rest of the chapter. We're not going to get to the whole rest of the chapter today, but we will cover 4 through 13, where it's a common strong theme all throughout the rest of these verses about kind of where our focus is. And the title of the message comes because we're going to see here that Although I could have named this sermon, Where's Your Focus, Part 2, I, I felt the Lord in not wanting me to do that, just to give it really what was it, what was the heart of the message about. And we're going to see it's about whether you're Christ-centric life, we have a, whether you have a Christ-centric life, or whether you have a self-centric life. Now that just means, what is your life lived for? A Christ-centric life is a life lived for Jesus and the things of God. A self-centric life is a life lived for yourself, concerned about the issues of the world, concerned about things and your pleasures and such, as verse 4 just talks about. Now, let's read verse 4 over and see here what Paul says again, and I've got some different things to say on verse 4, and uh, and, and we'll, we'll roll into verse 4 again. Paul says one more time, he says, No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. 
So again, he says here to Timothy and to all of us, he says that Christians, all of us and Timothy too, should be mainly focused on. That means our main goal should be focused on and about doing God's business, right? And mainly, uh, you know, not becoming consumed or wrapped up completely with the issues of this life so that we can please God. We talked about that a lot a couple weeks ago. I just mentioned it a little bit more here. Not too much more to say about that, but I do want to point out one thing that God showed me this time versus last time when I taught this verse. Notice, I want to point out to you one thing. The very last part of verse 4 says, Hey, live this kind of life, engaged in warfare, that you may please him who enlisted you. So that means that the opposite is also true. That means if you don't, or if I should say if you are getting entangled up in this life's issues, then you're not pleasing to God. Christians, if you start to live your lives focused, consumed, and wrapped up mainly in this life's issues, And this would also include, you have to also include here, being focused, consumed, and wrapped up in your own desires, you see, because they go hand in hand. Whether you're talking about this life's issues or being living a self-centric life, they're really both the same thing. Being entangled in or consumed with or all focused around those things, then your life is not pleasing to God. That's what Paul just said there. And of course, serving yourself would only be about waking up every day and being consumed with all that you have to do for yourself. Living for yourself, pleasing yourself, making sure you're happy, doing the things that you want to do, and not having any desire or any thrust on doing anything that God wants you to do. And you see, if this is your life then your priorities are not on God's priorities and his eternal kingdom, but they're on yours and this life, or your life's even. Uh, Paul kind of gives a very uh, uh, similar saying here. He gives a kind of a, a similar uh, 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 writing here in, in Romans 8, 5 through 8, where listen to what he says. This will give us some fresh perspective on what it really means for you know self-centric versus Christ-centric. He really talks about it here. He says, verse 5, For those who live according to the flesh, see, according to the flesh, set their minds, see, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. There's right there. There's a self-centric life, and there's a God or Christ or cross or, or the things of God centric life. He goes on to say in verse 6, for to be carnally minded. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to be carnally minded? Uh, Mind governed. Your mind ruled by your desires. To be carnally minded, to be mind to be governed or ruled by your desires of the issue or the issues of this life or the things of this world is death. I now added the mind governed there, but the verse says, For to be carnally minded is death. But that carnally minded means that your mind is governed. means it's ruled by the desires or the things of this world. So to be carnally minded or the mind to be governed is death on, on, on fleshly things. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is 
enmity against God. Listen, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So listen to what he says about pleasing God here. Then those who are in the flesh, meaning those whose minds are ruled by the flesh, or those whose minds are set on the carnal things of this life only, or this life's issues only, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. That's exactly what he said here, but that was the opposite to what I told you. I always tell you that in Scripture, if there's a statement that the opposite is always true. Verse 4, he said, No one entangled in warfare entangles himself in the affairs of this life, that he may please So that was on the positive side. If you stay engaged in warfare, hey, don't get all caught up in the world because that's not how we please God. Well, here he just said the same thing, but kind of those who are in the flesh cannot please God. He kind of comes right out and says it. So really, even then, Christians that, again, start down the path, if we as Christians start to start down the path of being entangled in or or in a carnally-minded attitude in and toward the things of this life and serving ourselves, we really then start heading down the path of destruction again. Christians, beware. This is a very dangerous thing that God wants us to beware of. Paul writes this whole last part of this chapter, really almost this whole chapter is a warning against this. And remember, only remember he kind of starts this chapter Uh, talking about how we should be strong in God because what? He had just told Timothy about all those in Asia who had left him. All those in Asia who had left him. And he's going to go back next week. You'll see as we get into next week or the week after, we're going to hear about some more guys that fell off into the false teachings and into the things of this world. And so this whole kind of chapter is a, hey, where's your focus? Are you focused on Christ-centric? Are you focused on serving Christ, a life for Christ, or are you focused on a life for you, a life of your flesh, okay? And I want to reiterate something from last week that's very important, because I don't want anybody to think, wow, really, so everything I do has to be about Jesus? Now, come on. Paul's not saying in the scripture that a Christian should not watch any TV, or that a Christian shouldn't play any games ever, or play sports, or get into house, you know, do some household chores, or or have any kind of concern about any issues in this life. So we're not just supposed to put our brains in a box and have the cross on it, and that that's it. That's that's it. And then and every time we say anything, oh Jesus, 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 Jesus. That's that's all we could say. And of course, he's not saying that. He's saying that our minds and efforts should be focused mainly on and about God's business and efforts, and our focus should be towards His kingdom mainly. That is supposed to be our drive, our goal, our thrust in life where we mainly have our mindsets, where we're mainly focused on and not mainly on or towards our kingdom and our desires. And there's a huge difference, and every Christian, real Christian out there, kind of really knows what I'm talking about. The, the difference here that Paul's talking about, it's, it's a big one, but, it, but it's not a small one. The, the main difference Paul's talking about here can be described in what Jesus says in Matthew 6.24. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. 
You can only have one God. Only one thing can drive you, Christian. And the main thing that should drive you, Jesus said, should be God. Should be the things of the cross. Should be Christ. Okay, that's what he's saying. Your main focus, your main goal should be Christ-centric. A life serving God about the things of God mainly. This is where God's saying, this is what Jesus just said. Or we can go all the way back to Moses, who, or, who, or God who told Moses back in Exodus 23 through 5, he says, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved, a carved image, any likeness of anything that's in heaven above or it's in earth beneath or that, whether, or, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. See? If you live a Christ-centric life, then you serve God mainly with the things that you do. Whatever God's given you as responsibilities, you make sure you take care of those things. You focus your mind and you make important the things of God. And you put yourself and your desires and your needs on the back burner. And you serve God and you love God and you take care of God first. That's what it means to be Christ-centric versus self-centric. But for a Christian to become again focused, consumed, wrapped up in the issues of this life and our pleasures, if we start to do that, we're no longer serving and loving God Almighty, but ourselves and our pleasures. Again, Christians beware. And so a Christian becoming again focused on, consumed with, wrapped up mainly in this life's issues and in their own desires is really an eternally important no-no. This is what Paul's saying here. Hey, nobody, if you want to, you should be pleasing God, Christians. And, if, and, and the pleasing God is not getting entangled in the issues, affairs, or of this life, nor yourself either. And so because it's such an important eternal no-no, Paul writes the rest of this section to address it. Let's look at verse 5 and see what he says next on it. He says verse 5. And also, when you see those words, and also, that pretty much shows you that they're kind of come together, right? My wife was quick to point that out to me after next after, after two weeks ago sermon she said why didn't you teach them all ed because you know after all they all kind of run together and i said i know this is not what god led me to do though but verse five he says and also if anyone competes in athletics he breaks it down to our level absolutely we certainly know athletics most guys do especially he is not crowned unless he competes according to to the rules. So he parallels verse 4 and all that he just said in Romans 8 to an athlete that's competing in an athletic competition. See, God is all about reaching us on our level. And he knows, and I didn't mean to sound like I was biased toward one sex or the other. I know there are a lot of ladies out there that like sports too, but especially guys. Guys are very sports-minded. And so he's talking to Timothy, who's a guy. And of course, you know, this. if anything, this section of Scripture could even be aimed more toward men than women. But nowadays, in our age now, a lot of women are just as heavy into sports as men are. So here he parallels what he says in Romans 8, and the last verse, to an athlete who's competing in a competition. So this would be like, you know, a race. So we got runners in the Olympics, right? And there's there's t- 10 guys up there, and they're all running the, the half mile or the quarter mile. And they're, they're all at the starting line, and, and the gunshot goes off, and they all go. And these guys and gals all run real fast, and, and they're trying to get to the finish line, and they're running, they're running, they're running. And you got two football teams, you know, two 
Two football teams are competing against one another to see who what can win the big game, to see who can win the championship, to see who can win the Super Bowl or whatever it may be. You got tennis, you got a you got uh, you know teams of one each, and you got teams of two each where they're trying to you know out battle one another and hit the ball and trying to see who can what who can win the the cup or whatever their main goal is for tennis. So he says here simply that an athlete that's in a competition can't win the race, can't win the big game, and can't win the tennis match unless they obey the rules of the race. So if the racers are up there, and one guy who's winning, but he cheated, he tripped the other guys, and and that's against rules, oh, you can't trip anybody. When he gets to the finish line, although he'll raise his hands like he won, the judge will say, no, I'm sorry, he cheated, he's out. He can't play the game if you don't play it according to the rules, okay? And you can't win you can't win the prize or the the game or the goal or the cup or the Super Bowl or whatever if you don't play according to the rules. And this is what he says simply. So comparing verses 4 and 5 in Romans 8 with the spiritual aspect, because we know the Bible is written to us for a spiritual thing. Paul's not, not telling us about, oh, well, it's great to play sports, and that's not his focus here. So bringing it all back to the spiritual side, because this is what it is, Paul says here, Timothy, all Christians, if you don't live the type of life God calls you to live after he saves you, compete according to those rules, you won't be saved, so you won't go to heaven when you die, and there'll be no crown. There'll be no cup. There'll be no Super Bowl title or whatever you get. If you don't compete according to God's rules, you won't get to heaven. You won't win the crown. You won't get the prize of eternal life. Just what are the rules that God has laid down for those that get saved? And what's the crown that Paul speaks about here? Well, The Bible speaks about the rules and the crown, really, the rules a lot. The crown, uh, not so much, but it is there. Matthew 22, 37, like Exodus 20, number one rule, Jesus said, the number one rule that a Christian must follow after they get saved, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul. And with all your mind, right, and all your soul and all your heart, and then you must also, what number rule? Two Love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the first two rules if we're competing in the run of the race of salvation, right? Number three rule, and there's probably quite a few in here, but these are just picked out the main ones. Hebrews 6.1, Paul writes that Christians should be living a life of repentance from dead works. And rule number four, you could say, and faith toward God. So all these kind of like are our initial kind of rules, the main ones. Jesus said, in fact, that you should love your Lord your God and you should love your neighbor are the first two rules. And on them hang all the law and all the prophets. So really even repentance from dead works, that falls under that. That's just kind of maybe three and four were subsections to the first main two and only two rules. So really we see here that the rules for running the race of salvation in order to compete according to the rules are living a life of love towards God with all your heart. And second, loving others. Third, focusing on living a life of sinlessness. After you're a Christian, God says, sin not. Hey, those, we're going to read it later. I think it's, I believe it's in 2 Timothy. Those who professed Christ should depart from iniquity. So if you're a Christian, 
<coughs> excuse me, God expects you to see, to go in his word, find out the things that he hates, because God hates sin, hates lots of sin, and don't do those things. And of course, number four, always trusting and having faith in God and God alone. And these are the rules, the basic rules of how to run the race of faith. Now, what about this crown? Of course, we know what the crown is. I already referenced it, but where does it even talk about it? What about this crown? What are Christians winning when we compete according to God's rules until the race is over? Well, James 1.12. Listen to this. James even puts in there, in the 112, he adds the crown and then adds the rule in there. Because you can't have the can't have the crown without the rule, right? That's what Paul just said. He says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Look at there. We see there that even James said there's a crown of life. We know that's eternal life. He's promised, God's promised it to those who what? Who competed according to the rules. Who loved God, like Jesus, with all their heart. To those who love him. Can't win the race. Can't have the crown unless you compete according to the rules. And eternal life, of course, is the crown to those who compete according to the rules until the end of the race. So as plain as it gets here, if someone gets saved and doesn't compete according to God's rules, or stops competing according to God's rules, then they lose the race, and they won't win the crown of eternal life that God has promised to those who stay competing according to the rules. To those who stay in love with Him. So Christians, if you live a life focused mainly on or consumed with the issues of this life, and or serving yourself, or your own fleshly desires, and not mainly on living a life of love towards God, then no matter how well you started the race of faith, you will lose the race and won't attain the prize of eternal life. Now, Christians, Paul's not writing about any joking matter here. Obviously, as we've seen, this is a serious, really serious issue. And as we're going to see at the end of the section, uh, now to lastly drive home his super eternal important point, Paul gives Timothy and us one more angle to think about. Look at verse 6. He kind of shoots one out there. And this one I had to really muse on. I had to pray about because I was like, well, Lord, I I never really thought about that verse and what it really meant as far as how to teach it. He kind of closes this one little part here and he says the hard-working farmer must be first to partake of the crops i said lord now how does that pertain to running a race and 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 doing this and see here's what god gave me now if you have a better if you have a better something you think god gave you then i'd love to hear about it email me text message me call me my information is all online but the best way i got that god described this to me was put it like this you have to think about it the opposite way Think about all we just talked about. Running according to the rules, not getting entangled in the world's issues, loving God, all that is like you have to put an effort, right? And what's to say? The hardworking farmer is first to partake of the crops. That kind of all pertains to the one that's running the race according to the rules. So here, how do I understand this? Well, the opposite is true for here. The lazy, self-serving farmer, what'll he get? 
Well, anybody that knows farming knows that if a farmer isn't diligent and hardworking and he doesn't plant according to the rules and he doesn't water at the right times because he's lazy and he's not doing nothing, what's he going to get? He's going to get nothing. And that with our context, we see that the lazy farmer won't get anything. Just like the athlete who doesn't compete according to the rules gets nothing. But the one who obeys the rules, the one who follows diligently after God, the one who lives a Christ-centric life and not a self-centric life, will win the crown. Well, the hard-working farmer, well, he gets the crops. He's the first one to partake of the crops. Capping off these few sentences, Paul writes verse 7, and he says this, Consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. Paul says here, it kind of gets real, really real with Timothy. And he says, hey, Timothy, really think about the things that I've just told you. I really want you to consider them. I really want you to think about them. Now, mind you, this isn't just 4 through 13 here. This goes all the way back to, I would say, even to the beginning of chapter 2 and the end of chapter 1 really and you can even say all of chapter 1 think about the things that I've told you hey think about what I've told you I've told you hey uh, this is where I'm at I'm struggling I'm uh, you know I'm serving God but it's hard I'm in prison I've been abandoned you know I'm still keeping my peace in God but yet here's all these people in Asia they've all left me they've all gone away from me they've all made a great exodus I'm all alone Think about all these things I've told you and really think about this race that I'm talking about. Really think about this this competing according to the rules and not getting entangled because this is really an important, eternally important subject that Paul's talking about here. He really kind of, hey, Tim, think about it. Really consider it. Really contemplate what I'm telling you. Because what do you do if somebody tells you to really consider what they're saying? When somebody says, hey, would you, would you really kind of think about whether you should buy this house or not? Or hey, would you really consider about this major decision in your life? You'd be like, hmm, yeah, I got to take some time. And I got to think about what this guy's telling me. Because if, you know, if I make a stupid decision here... It could cost me a lot of money or it could cost me a lot of things or it could cost me a lot of discomfort, right? We hear, hey, really think about it. Because anybody that makes a bad decision and they start to not to compete with the rules, right? Or they decide to, to, to get entangled in the world. Really, I see here, it costs them their eternal life. See, Paul says the same thing. He says in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, he says, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. Hey, Timothy, I know you're the pastor of the church, but hey, really consider what I'm telling you because you know what? The cost here is great. The cost is great. And don't think you got this. Consider what I say. Look at verse 8 where Paul brings Timothy and us back to what we should be focused on. Look at what he says, verse 8. Remember, 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 Timothy. Remember what's important. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. Focus, Timothy. Focus, Christians. Focus what's important, ladies and gentlemen. What's important, that extra $10 you're going to make this week at work from working overtime or getting in the Word more or 
praying for somebody that's lost more or, or talking to somebody about Jesus more. What's important? Is God's work more important or is your own life important? Hey, remember this. Jesus Christ beat death. Jesus Christ raised from the dead. And he paid our sin. He defeated death on the cross. And he, that is what's really, really, really eternally important. And this was what was really important, eternally important, according to Paul. Christ's atoning death on the cross, Christ's sacrifice is the single greatest show of love and sacrifice that anyone has ever shown or ever shown or ever will show for anyone since time's begun. Or for the rest of time to pass. Christ's sacrifice and his defeat over death to pay for our sins so that we can have eternal life in God. There's nothing greater than that. There's not a single thing you could do on this earth, a single greater accomplishment, a single, a single greater thing in this all this life that you can do other than focus on what Jesus did for you and worship him because it because of it and that is truly and mainly what we should be focused on as Christians how, just how really important was this truth to Paul look at verse 9 for which i suffer trouble as an evil doer even to the point of chains but the word of god is not chained so important that Paul a righteous man so important was this Awesome news, this important news, so important was it to Paul that he, a righteous man, allowed himself to be treated as an evil man. He gave up all his freedoms to sit in a terrible prison dungeon, whatever. The worst that you could ever, the worst than you could imagine in America, because we don't even have prisons and dungeons as deep and dank as he was in, or he faced torture where he faced persecution, and where while he was in prison, all Christians in Asia abandoned him. This is what he faced, and he did it all because of what Christ did for him. To Paul, what Jesus Christ did for him and all humanity was the central focus of his entire life. And by what he knew about what God had said in Exodus 20 and what Jesus said in Matthew 6, Paul believed that a Christian should live a Christ-centric life and not a self-centric life because of what Jesus did. This is how important it was to Paul what Jesus did to him. And because Paul lived a Christ-centric life where Jesus Christ crucified was the focus of his life, look at what else was important to him. Read verse 10. Therefore, I endure all things. So I, I, I go through all this, Timothy. I've put myself out there. All these things that I suffer right now, because what? For the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Top priority to Paul was getting the elect. Who are the elect? The elect, according to the Bible, who he was talking about were the Jews. God's chosen people, the Jews, to see the light, his top priority. He went through all this so that the Jewish nation would see the light, get saved from their sins, and be reunited to God through Jesus Christ. Romans 9, 1-5, Paul says the same thing. He says, I tell you the truth in Christ. 
I'm not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have, I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart for I could wish that I myself, listen to this, listen how deep his passion was for the Jews, that I myself were accursed from Christ. That means he, he, he'd say, I'd go to hell away from Christ for my brethren my countrymen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises, of whom are the fathers, from whom, uh, uh, and whom are the fathers, and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all, the eternally blessed God. Amen. So Paul loved the Jews so much that he, a righteous man, And Christ's sacrifice meant so much to him that he, a righteous man, allowed himself to be treated like an evil man, tortured, went to prison, also that he could get people saved. That is what a totally surrendered, totally, totally Christ-centric surrendered life looks like. And when you live a life of love towards God, and run the race of salvation by his rules, or live a Christ-centric life and not a self-centric life, the things that are important to God are important to you as well. And the salvation of others, especially of the Jews, is a number one top priority in God's eyes. Now, Paul closes this section of Scripture reminding us that God's eternal promises have conditions. And keep in mind, I want you to know as we're, I'm going to read this over, this last little few verses here, and then we're going to get to our close, okay? Keep in mind, this is a huge point here, that each one of these conditional promises that Paul mentions here are written to Timothy, and they're written to the Christians, us, you and me, and all those back then, not to unbelievers. So look over verse 11 through, verses 11 through 13, see what Paul has to say. He says, this is a faithful saying. Now remember, all the things he's just talked about, right? This is a faithful saying. For if, he died, if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Notice here that every statement invo- that involves us and God, notice had an if we. Notice it wasn't just, oh, God did this, so we're all good. No, no, no. Notice every statement that had it, God and us had an if we. Notice there were two positive if we's, and notice there were two negative if we's. Here are the positive if we's to Christians that I saw. First, if we died with him, if we, now something that we did, If we died with him, past tense, we shall live forever with him, right? Jesus says the same thing, Matthew 10, 10, 39. And I want you to point out this condition, right? Uh, He says, he who loses his life for my sake. So he who dies to himself, he who dies. Paul just said, if we die, verse, verse 11, for if we died with him, Right? We shall live with him. Jesus said, he who loses his life, he who dies, same thing, shall what? For my sake will find it. The condition there was if we surrender, he who loses his life, it's a surrender. 
He who loses his life to me, surrenders his life to me, gives his life to me, dies with me, takes my death upon himself, surrenders himself totally to me, that's the condition, shall find his new life, eternal life. This is salvation. But unfortunately, even Jesus said that if we Christians don't endure in this surrender of our lives to him until the end of our lives, it doesn't matter if we surrender to him at one time or not. Remember Matthew 24, 13, he says, he who endures to the end shall be saved. Paul mentions it here, the very next positive if we, he says the second positive if we, if we endure. That's what he says. You can look at it. If we endure. He doesn't say you're going to endure if you're a Christian. You will absolutely, if you've died with Christ, you will endure. No, he doesn't. He says if we endure. That means it's something that's not guaranteed because we all know the devil's biggest trick, or at least I know and you are now, the devil's biggest trick is to get Christians to not endure. Give up. That's what he wants you to do. Give up because he knows He'll grab you right back. He says, if we endure, we shall reign with him. Right? If we endure, reigning with Christ is going to heaven. If we endure. Those are the two positives. If we endure, we can have it. James says, right? If we play by the rules, if we, if we, if we, compete, if we compete according to the rules, then we'll have the crown that he lays up for those that love him. Same thing, Right? If we endure, if we died and we stay in that surrender, we will make it. We'll make it to heaven. The two negative if we's. If we deny him, he will deny us. Remember, Jesus said, Matthew 10, 32 and 33, Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Who is in heaven? See this sharp contrast there. If we live a life of denying Jesus, he'll also deny us when we get to heaven. If we live a life of confessing Jesus, then he'll confess us before the God, the Father, and then we'll be accepted in, right? This is a very, very plain here. If we deny, he's going to deny us. Verse 13, many take it out of context. He says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. But, Since this is in the negative category, if the negative if we category, then it doesn't mean what most people believe it means. Most people believe it's, oh, if we're faithless, hey, we could be faithless all day long. Hey, but God's still faithful. God's going to take care of us. God's going to bring us home if we're still faithful. Well, listen, uh, since this is in the negative category, Paul is saying here that if we are faithless, meaning we lose our faith in God, which that's part of one of the rules, remember, the run in the race, or stop having faith in God, right? Which is, again, a rule of the race. And Paul said we won't get the crown if we don't follow the rules, right? Then really what Paul's saying here is if we are faithless or lose our faith in God or stop having faith in God, he will be faithful to pronounce judgment against us. Because that is sure. God is faithful. But he's faithful to do a lot of things. He's faithful to, you know, give, he's, he's faithful to give if we give him. He's faithful to bless us, you know, in certain ways. If, if we do certain things, he's faithful in a lot of things. If we continue to be faithful toward him, he'll continue to be faithful toward us. If we're not faithful toward God, then he'll be faithful to not be faithful toward us or to judge us when we die. So Christians, 
Just like Paul asked Timothy today in verse 7, I also ask you the same way, just in a little bit different way, I should say. Will you consider all the things that Paul said to you today? If you profess yourself to be a Christian today, and if you examine your life today, after all that Paul just read in the scripture, after I just read and interpreted what Paul wrote, real simple, I didn't get any crazy, I kept pretty much right in the scripture, I didn't come up with any crazy ideas. And if you really looked at your life by the Bible today, <coughs> excuse me, can you say, would you say that you live a Christ-centric life or a self-centric life? Can you say that your life is pleasing to God because you are keeping away from getting entangled or focused, consumed, and wrapped up mainly in your this life's issues and in your own desires. So you don't just live for yourself. You don't just get consumed with the issues of this life. Or would being focused, consumed, wrapped up mainly on this life's issues and in your own desires describe your life that you live mainly? A life that you mainly focus on living. And what about those rules that God has for those that are saved? Since you've been saved, are you running the race of salvation according to God's rules? So that you can obtain the crown of life? Remember those rules, Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven: 37. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And love your neighbor in that three and four, right? Are you living a life of repentance toward dead works? Hey, I see what God doesn't want me to do, and I'm going to stop doing those things, and I'm going to put my faith in God. I'm going to have faith toward God totally. Are you mainly focused on living a life of love towards God with all your heart, loving others, and focusing on living a life of sinlessness, trying not to live in the ways that God said that we shouldn't live, and having faith in Him? And lastly, like Paul said of himself, are the things of God that are important to God, are those things important to you? Ladies and gentlemen, being saved and being on the path that leads to eternal life and knowing Jesus Christ and God Almighty is not just some prayer you prayed one time so you get your get out of hell free card. As we just read today, it's a lifestyle. It's a commitment to God, equivalent to the correct commitment that a person's supposed to be making to a person they want to be with the rest of their lives in marriage, right? Till death do I part commitment. This is the commitment that the Bible says that if you want to be saved, God wants from you. He doesn't want, oh, I, oh Jesus, Lord, I really don't want to go to hell. Oh, Jesus, save me. I love you. Oh, okay, and then... You go out and you live a life that has no concern and no main concern about God or the things of God at all. This is not a saved relationship with God. Will you consider all the things I told you from the Bible and examine where you're at with Jesus Christ today, please? So many today profess to be a Christian, but I see so few of those who make this profession actually competing or living according to God's rules, which it's not work. When we're loving God with all our hearts, that's not a work. I'm not preaching a work salvation. It's a surrender salvation. It's a faith salvation. 
It's stopping doing, getting away from the things that God says don't do salvation. Just like the Bible says. These things that are important to God are not important to them. And they absolutely do not live a Christ-centric life, but a self-centric life. This is what I see. People that profess to be Christians. The things that are important to God are not important to them. And they don't live a Christ-centric life. They live lives that are centered on themselves. And as I said this earlier, Christians, if you again start to live your lives focused, consumed, wrapped up mainly on this life's issues and in your own desires, then your priorities are not on God's priorities and His eternal kingdom, but on yours and on this life's. And this type of lifestyle, as Paul just wrote to us here in verse 4, is not pleasing to God. And it's not running the race of salvation according to God's rules to obtain the crown of life, which he offers what? To those that love him. Remember, as James said, and sadly, the biggest point of all, this kind of lifestyle doesn't show God that you love him at all. It shows God that you love yourself. And how can you expect to practice this type of godless or lukewarm lifestyle towards God and still obtain the crown of life, which is eternal life in heaven forever? The Bible says you can't. Paul just said if you live this kind of life, you aren't going to make it. Sadly, you can expect it, uh, but, and it isn't going to happen. In closing, Matthew 10, 29, I'm going to explain it one last time. This is the kind of life that God expects you to live from day one in Him to day end till death do you part until you're reunited again in the Spirit. He expects you to live this kind of life. He who finds his life will lose it. He who lives a self-centric life will lose his eternal life. And he who loses his life for my sake He who surrenders unto me. Jesus, I need you. I don't want to live for myself anymore. God, I need to come into my life. Save me. I need you. I want to live for you. Here I am. Take me. I'm all yours. And you really mean it with all your heart. And you don't want to live for yourself anymore. And you want to surrender. Give all your rights to Christ. He is because you make him your Lord. He who loses his life for my sake will find it. You'll find eternal life. And... You must mainly focus on staying there at that point till you go to meet Jesus Christ the moment you die, because that is a for sure thing. Everyone that dies the moment we die will be before God. And he'll either say, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your Lord, or I never knew you, get behind me, or you were running the race well, but you stopped competing according to the rules. Be gone from me. I never knew you. I don't know where you're at today with God, but you really now know where you're at with God. According to the scripture, not according to me, you must compete according to the rules, Christian. You must live a life loving God, Christians. You must live a life abstaining from the things that God hates and loving God and having faith in God to attain your crown of life. Now, if you find yourself not competing according to God's rules, so with a life that's not pleasing to God, then would you please repent 
of this self-centric life today. It's a lifestyle, really it is. And would you surrender again to Christ and decide to live a Christ-centric lifestyle, which is pleasing to God, which you will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. God loves you, you know that. But you must love Him back. And it's a rule. Praise God. Let's pray. Thank you so much, Lord God, for your love. Thank you so much, Lord God, for your grace. Thank you so much, God, for your mercy. And Lord God, I know, right, I just believe right now there's somebody out there, Lord God, that's, that's not living a Christ-centric life. They started well, but Lord, as time went on and the devil got in and the world got in, Lord, they've, they're off course. They've lost their focus, Lord God, and they're headed the wrong direction. They're, they're headed and they're on the path of I serve myself. The world is my oyster. I, I do the things of the world, and, and that's where I'm headed. But Lord, your word is very clear today. We, we saw it in your word. Paul says, anybody competing in a race must compete according to the rules in order to get a crown, in order to, get, in order to have the goal, in order to win the race. Verse 5. Lord, we know the Bible is very clear. I do not believe, Lord, at all in a once saved, always saved mentality of the mind, no matter how I live. I believe I have secure in my salvation, Lord, if I start well and I end well with Christ. And I start well loving you and I end well loving you. And that's what we read in the Bible. That's what we read today. That's what we've read many times, Lord. I pray, please, dear God, that any that are out there today that are not living a Christ-centric life, I pray, dear God, that you'd bring them to repentance and help them to see that they're not right with you, that they're backslidden. And that just doesn't mean that they're just, oh, well, you know, know, I'll be all right in the end. It's just, you know, right now. No, if they do not get back, if they do not surrender again, if they do not submit their lives to Christ again and turn from the self-centric life, And Lord, they won't win the race and they won't get the crown. Lord, help them. Help them to make their way back to you. To make their way back to where they're pleasing unto you and saved in your heart and in your mind and in your kingdom. I love you, God. We love you. We praise you and we thank you. And I ask all these things in the mighty and precious and powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Praise God. Everyone, it's Pastor Ed here, and thank you so much for listening to the message. It's my prayer that you were encouraged and challenged with what you heard today to be a doer of God's Word and not a hearer only, because your life will soon be passed, and only what you've done for Jesus Christ will last. If you live in the Dallas, Texas area, we want to invite you to come to our little house church here in McKinney, Texas. Sunday mornings, our service is at 1015, and the directions can be found on our website. Also, if you have any prayer requests or questions, or maybe you believe God has called you to support this church financially, please go to gospelsavingchurch.com and click on the appropriate links. I would love to hear from you personally. God loves you very much. Please love Him back by the way you live your life. God bless you, and have a wonderful day.